This is Taking Care in Business, a podcast that dives into the topic of corporate social responsibility from many different perspectives. Host Kathy Pedrotti Hayes is an expert in CSR and philanthropic giving, and her co-host, Vicki Bolson, is the founder and CEO of Bolson Group, a unified marketing company that was also the first B Corp certified company in Indiana. Kathy and Vicki became friends and equally passionate about CSR when they first worked together several years ago. Join them as they talk about why it is always worthwhile to take care in business. Hey, woman. Hey, how's it going? I am doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah? Yeah. So I noticed something today that I thought was cool. And I don't know, do you do you get Imperfect Produce or Daily Harvest or any of I those don't. things? I, we used to do Blue Apron, okay. which is like kind of like that, I think. But we don't do that anymore, no. Okay, well, in Perfect Produce, they, and I don't know why I did this because I hate to say this, but I don't oftentimes read all the emails I get right. you know, from services that I, I subscribe know. to or it's whatever. But I, I did, and at the, I even scrolled to the bottom, and uh, in Perfect Produce now, because they, what you do, for those of you who don't know about it, you can order fruit and vegetables, and now you can order pantry items, dairy, all kinds oh, of things. I didn't know that, yeah. yeah, they've expanded. And uh, order it, and weekly they will deliver it to to your door. Nice. And it comes in these handy-dandy boxes that I just took a good 20 or so to bring Grace home from college. Um, but now, because I saved them because I thought, what am I going to do with these? They uh, let you recycle them. Oh, nice. I know. It's, uh, it's like one little thing that right. you can do, you know. And so um, I have 20 or 30 saved up in my garage to quote-unquote so recycle so now I can just put them on my front porch and they'll take them that's really great I know I, I love that, it that kind of stresses me out with all those things you it know, does me too and there are times when I don't like I get so frustrated that I feel like I'm you know ordering you know organic grass-fed right, right. you know meat <laughs> coming uh, in and plastic. then I'm yeah, the, yeah. so mm-hmm. um so I was I thought that was wonderful that's cool that's really cool well, I am so excited to d- about our guest that's coming up today. I know. So love her. I had the opportunity to meet her um, when she was here for a Conscious Capitalism event a few months ago. And then I, we even got to go to dinner afterwards. Oh, so, I know. You told me about so, that. Yeah, so it was really fun. So she's very cool. So let me tell you a little bit about the company, Televerde. So Televerde helps global business-to-business organizations generate demand and accelerate sales through a combination combination of strategic data solutions, marketing technology, and highly skilled sales professionals. They um, were formed in 1994, and they have been a purpose-driven company providing education and career opportunities for incarcerated women both while in prison yep. and after release. And so um, using this business model, Televerde has generated more than $8 billion, that's B people, in revenue for its clients. So our guest is uh, Michelle Sirocco, and she's the Chief Social uh, Responsibility Officer for Televerde. She joined Televerde in 1999 and has held several leadership positions, including Chief Marketing Officer. She is a strong customer champion with a tireless commitment to demand generation, excellence, and best practices. She earned her MBA from Arizona, Arizona, I can't talk today, guys, Arizona State University, where she also serves as an advisory board member for the Center for Services Leadership. Um, She holds multiple certifications from Serious Decisions, and she is an avid TED fan, 
and recently organized and hosted TEDx Perryville Correctional, which looked behind the curtain of incarceration to show the potential that exists in giving second chances. So, Michelle, welcome. Are you there? I am here. Boy, that makes me sound like I'm kind of important. It's really <laughs> embarrassing to listen to you read all that stuff. Well, it, you are very important and very impressive. I know firsthand. You're doing important work, that's for sure. I love what you guys are doing. Love it. So talk a little bit. Would you mind sharing with us? I know, but can you tell a little bit about the history of Televerde and how you got started, how this business model got started? Yeah, so the company was founded, like you said, in 1994. Um, Really, it was a gentleman who was involved in in prison ministries, and he felt there just wasn't enough being done uh, to prepare the women for uh, reentry back into the community. And so he had uh, a call center background, and so he he started the call center inside the Women's Correctional Facility here in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. Um, And a couple months later, he partnered with um, our former CEO and and co-founder, who came with a background in technology. He was a former IBM sales executive, and he had built and sold a couple computer technology businesses. And when he joined, he looked at the business model and, and I really just thought, you know, if we could teach the women how to sell, particularly how to sell technology, that we could teach them really marketable skills and um, build a profitable business, but also provide the women with uh, skills that would enable them to uh, be really successful once they got out, be able to get gainful employment and become uh, financially independent. And he actually really because of where technology was at that point in time, this was 1995, 96, we were, um, the internet was really a thing and Y2K was upon us. And he (laughs) just had the vision that technology was going to be a great place to be if you were in sales and just believed that the women would be able to come out and um, be successful in an industry that he believed was uh, less likely to be discriminatory against them for their non-traditional background, if you were. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, it was a brilliant vision because here we are uh, 25 years later, and seven of our 10 contact centers are located in women's correctional facilities, um, employing uh, about 70% of our total workforce, um, providing mm, Right now, we have about 400 women who are currently incarcerated that uh, are working for us. And then here at our corporate office, uh, about 40% of the staff at our corporate office started their career with the company while they were incarcerated. Mm -hmm. And we have people in every department at every level of the organization, including 30% of our executive leadership team that started their career with the company while they were incarcerated. What is an onboarding process or a hiring process look like when you're hiring, um, you know, people that are incarcerated? (laughs) Well, so um, it looks much the same as it would if you were hiring anybody. Uh, Although, you know, we start out with there's some some fundamental criteria that they have to meet um, through the Department of Corrections uh, as it relates to the minimum amount of time that they have remaining and the maximum amount of time. So they have to be between one and 10 years on their sentence. And they have to have a uh, at least a high school diploma or a GED, and they have to be uh, disciplinary free. So they have to be uh, a good citizen in the environment where they live. Um, and then 
once they meet that criteria, they apply for the position, and then it becomes just like hiring anybody for any any other job. They go through, um, or they take a typing test, they do a, a, a computer-based skills assessment, they interview with the man, a, a, a team of managers at the panel interview, uh, they do a mock phone call, and that's scored, and then we uh, select the, the top 10 to 12 people out of every every pool that we have. So um, we generally try to try to do training programs, you know, because it's the, the right number. Uh, and then they go through, it's a four to six week uh, training program uh, that they go through. They, they often refer to it as a their boot camp, mm-hmm. uh, but I actually like to refer to it as a mini MBA because it's really what we're doing that is teaching them everything that they know need to know to be successful in business. Um, everything from you know what are all of the different departments, sales, marketing, finance, operations, supply chain, um, to the different roles, managers, directors, vice presidents, C-level executives, their personas, and the things that matter to them so that we can enable them to have a really successful business conversation. And once they've learned, once they've gone through the training program, then they uh, go through a, a kind of a side-by-side role modeling uh, with a peer, and then they get certified, and then they're on their way to success. So this is sort of maybe a weird question, but why women? Why, you know, we have incarcerated men. <laughs> Why, why do you focus on, on women? Um, so, honestly, it, in the early days, it just happened to be that's where we started. Okay. Uh, it, it started with somebody who was, it was working with women, and then we continued to expand within the facilities that we were located. And so, uh, interestingly enough, as we were growing as a company, so was the United States' fascination with mass incarceration. And so... Um, as fast as we grew, they, the population of women in prison continued to grow here in Arizona. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Arizona is fourth in the nation in incarceration. So um, there was plenty of people to, to employ. And then when it came time to uh, expand out into other locations, because we, we did finally reach the space where we've, we've employed as much as we can at the, in the Arizona facilities, um, we really started to think about should we look at men or other disempowered populations? And um, as I said, from the mass incarceration standpoint, some of the things that we've really come to know and understand is, um, first of all, women, four out of five women in prison are mothers, and 66% of those children uh, are under the age of 18. And so um, what we found with the work that we're doing, there are over 3,000 women that have worked for us so far, mm-hmm. less than 6%. Uh, recidivism rate, which is the rate at which people go back to prison. And so we just really believe that uh, by providing the women uh, with the job opportunities and career opportunities that uh, we can enable them to take care of their children um, and their families and uh, really have a more positive impact uh, on the community at large. Because one of the differences between men and women who are incarcerated is the majority of the women, when they come home, their family members are waiting for them to come and take care of the, take the children back, mm-hmm. or they really want to go and get their children back and reunite their family, where it's not necessarily the same situation with the men. What's the national average, the national average for recidivism? So glad you asked. So the women of Tel- 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 are 91% less likely 
to go back to prison. The national average is 59% of all people will return to prison within three years. And the number one reason for, the number one predictor of recidivism is joblessness. Hmm. And uh, 55%, only 55% of people will be in gainful employment one year after their incarceration. And the average earnings of someone uh, who's been incarcerated one year after is only about $10,400. For the women of Palo Verde, they're reporting 94% employment rate and uh, earnings of almost four times as much as the national average for incarcerated women, formerly incarcerated women. Well, it's such a catch-22, right? Because if you, you know, I read a little bit in here and, and I heard you speak about, you know, second chances, but for some folks, you know, some of these women that have felony convictions or whatever, it's very difficult to get a job. <laughs> um, yeah. There are very few people. I, I feel like the uh, employment environment may be moving a little bit away from that, in part, I would think, potentially driven by the fact that the unemployment rate is so so low and maybe, you know, um, reconsidering some of those hiring practices. But it is really difficult um, if you've made a mistake and had a conviction, and then how do you how do you get out of that cycle? Yeah, it it is. Um, I can tell you uh, from personal experience, um, the only thing worse than going to prison is actually having to tell somebody that you've been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my own experience, you know, you, you talked about my, you read my bio and, and all the things that, that I've done. It was only just a few years ago that uh, I was being recruited for an executive position. And in the process, I had to go online and fill out this, this application to, to continue moving forward through the process. And, and when I did, uh, I got to the question um, that says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Not, mm-hmm. not in the last five years or the last three years. It was just have you right. ever been convicted of a felony? And, and uh, you know, I knew that I had to answer honestly mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, lying is, you know, you'd lose your job for lying if you do that and you get caught. And so when I answered it, um, the system immediately just thanked me for my interest in the position and let me know that I would not be qualified to work for their company. Mm-hmm. And and that's the, the, the one of those moments when, when I really, it was a tipping point for me when I said, you know, this is crazy. It's been, it's been almost 25 years since, I, I, you know, since I committed a crime. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, that's when I realized that people really not need to start to be aware because with all of this technology, how many people are we overlooking in our hiring process? You're not even getting a chance to, to interview or have include them in the process. And so, um, you know, we've got this growing skills gap in our country. There's our, our employment, unemployment rate is lower than it's been since the, you know, the middle of the 1960s. And, you know, employers really need to open their mind to the, the talent pool that's out there and eliminate things like, you know, the box, having people check this box and uh, move it further into, further into the interview process or the screening process. You know, after you've found the most qualified candidate, then say, okay, is there anything in your background that we need to be aware of? Sure. And, and really only, you know, exclude people based on things that might actually matter to the job that you're asking them to do. In the intro, too, we talked about the success of Televerde in terms of generating $8 billion. Um, in revenue for your your clients, customers. Um, How does or does this business model, sort of this um, innovative business model, resonate with them? 
Do you think people hire you because of that, or how does how does that work? Um, I would say that uh, first of all, no, nobody nobody's going to hire us because of the business model, mm-hmm. right? I, I mean, it's it's a nice it's a nice aspect of what we're doing, but at the end of the day. Um, people are hiring us because we're the best at what we do. Mm-hmm. And then we're the best at what we do because we have this amazing, dedicated, loyal, committed workforce of people who are really who really view the work they're doing as an opportunity to have a better life. So they, so they bring a lot more uh, to the table than an average person would in these types of roles. Yeah. Wow. That's saying a lot about the... Um the, the process that you go through and the, um, the outcomes that you have. How does a, a, something like the scale, because you're only in Arizona, Indiana, and I think you're expanding, but I mean, I would think that this would be something that would be really useful, you know, throughout the whole country. Yeah. Well, so we, we can scale uh, based on, you know, as much as our, company can grow, right? Mm-hmm. Because we are a for-profit business. So mm-hmm. the more customers we have, the, the, the bigger the engagements that we have for our clients, the, the more that we can grow. Um, like you said, we're currently, we have five locations in Arizona, two in Indiana. We'll be expanding into Florida and Her Majesty's Prison just outside of Manchester, England uh, as our expansion opportunities for this year. But scaling the, the general idea, well, any, just about any company who has uh, talent needs can and should think about how can they build a, their own prison-to-workforce pipeline is, is what I would refer to it as. And, and that can take many different forms. Um, one could be similar to what we're doing is, is developing a relationship with the local correctional industries and setting up shop inside the correctional facility, provide, provide people with the training and the jobs while they were incarcerated, and then move to employing them uh, after their release. Or you could do something similar to uh, The Last Mile is a famous organization that is teaching software coding inside of the prison. Uh, and then they, they get them all trained and certified. And then when they're released, they do job placements to uh, companies that are in need of coding. And then a third option would be to really just proactively become a second chance employer. Um, and look at kind of the entry-level positions, hard-to-fill positions that you have in your company, um, and go out and, and make it a point to start recruiting uh, people who have uh, a criminal record. Because, honestly, one in three people in our country has a criminal record, so there's, there's lots of us out there. And so make that part of the actual recruiting process for jobs that you have, and, and then understand what you need to do to help people be successful in those roles. So you, um, when we did our pre-interview, you were just getting some data back, right? I was. Can you share some of the results? I think maybe you've already shared a, a few of them. I have shared uh, quite a few of them just in, in the, the chatting that, that we've done. But, you know, some of the things that we are uh, most proud of are, as I said, the, the women who've worked for us, and, and there's been over 3,000 women who've worked for us over the past 25 years, uh, less than 6% recidivism. Uh, employment rates, 94% employment, uh, salaries that are uh, close to four times that of the national average for formerly incarcerated women. And, and, and that's because they are really well-trained to do 
really complex jobs in sales, marketing, and technology. Uh, and they also, uh, 84% have some college education, uh, with over 30% having advanced degrees, mm-hmm. wow. uh, which we believe leads to some of the, the bigger impacts on, like, the children, which I mentioned before is something that's near and dear to my heart, uh, because incarceration tends to be a generational issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the children of the women of Palo Verde are 11 times more likely to graduate from high school and 11 times less likely to become incarcerated themselves uh, than the children of other incarcerated mothers. Got it. And then um, finally, from an economic impact, uh, it, the Arizona State University Seidman Institute uh, projects that uh, through the reduction in recidivism, the increase in tax revenues, and the reduction in the use of entitlement programs because of the fact that people, are, the women are employed and their children are not using foster care services, uh, that our program is saving our state about $13.3 million a year. Wow. Gosh. Yeah. Numbers we're really proud of. And um, all of that information is uh, going to be released tomorrow morning uh, with a press release and you'll see it all over our social media and and we'll be we'll be bragging and promoting it as much as we can well you should be bragging yeah that's that's amazing so um, Michelle you guys really are a social enterprise and um, I we interview a lot of B corporations or B certified corporations and you are sort of in that process right Yes, um, we are. And so that was in my role as Chief Social Responsibility Officer. One of my charters was to develop, get third-party validation for the work that we're doing, which includes the ASU research report that I just quoted. And we're a global impact sourcing coalition uh, a member, and we have signed the United Nations uh, Global Compact. Uh, and then finally, we're working on our B Corp certification. And so... Um, we have completed our assessment, and we are working with B Corp to help them understand uh, all of the dynamics associated with prison industries sure. to help them develop the standards necessary for them to start certifying people who are either uh, like us, uh, providing job opportunities for people in prison, or perhaps they are uh, vendors or suppliers for prison industries. And so uh, they... Once we submitted ours, they recognized that they needed to really understand the industry before they could start certifying them. So I'm excited to be able to um, help them develop those standards, and we've had them out to visit our correctional facility here in Arizona and uh, are looking forward to be becoming the first prison industry uh, company to become certified. Yeah, wow. that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, that's, there's a lot of knowledge that's needed, I think, around this mm-hmm. topic. So yeah. I'm glad to hear that yeah. you guys are kind of leading the charge there. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So, Michelle, one of the questions that we always ask our guests is, um, what advice would you give to other companies who were maybe interested in employing um, a social enterprise model or, or um, you know, instituting corporate responsibility in their workplaces? You know, it's... It, Interesting. I think the best advice I could give is to actually uh, do the research and start using your network. Because what I found, um, having worked 20 years in sales and marketing and uh, client services, service operations, uh, when I started working in this pace of uh, social responsibility and business as a force for good, 
I found the network of people that, that are in this space to be so powerful and so helpful and so knowledgeable and useful. And that, uh, so once you start doing the research and uh, listening to the podcast and, and reaching out and connecting with people and having conversations, it seems to me that everybody in this space is always willing to help uh, the next person uh, any way that they can, whether it's through sharing of knowledge or books or making introductions to people that, that can help help you support your efforts. We hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, we I feel that way too, right? Oh, the absolutely. We have people come on and really um, spill it and then offer to, to help others. So mm-hmm. that is um, kind of a really cool perk of all of this as well. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what I would make, you know, to, to that point, I would actually say, you know, I talked about building a prison to workforce pipeline. And if there's anybody out there who's listening to this who has an interest in learning more um, about how to do that or would like support in, in setting it up, then I would um, gladly offer my my support and my services to help them any way that I can. That Wonderful. is a great segue to uh, do you mind giving out that information or at least a website where uh, people can go and um, learn about Televerde? Well, the Televerde website is just www.televerde.com. Uh, you can reach out to me directly through uh, LinkedIn or through my email address, which is just michelle.soraco. Uh, at televerde.com. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter or anywhere else that you might find me. Awesome. Wonderful. Michelle, awesome to be with you again, even though we're just on the phone. But um, (laughs) it's always you're just so inspiring and um, delightful to talk to. So thank you so much for taking time with us today. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for having me on the podcast. It's been fun. So, Kathy, it's time for our Taking Care in Community segment, which is brought to you by the National Bank of Indianapolis. And um, we have a nomination for the executive director, LaToya Pitts, with the Christomer House Guild. You know a little bit about them, don't you? Yeah, I do. Actually, I was part of the guild um, for, uh, for a while and just love the work that they do. Um, a community center over in the Hallville area that does a lot of um, outreach and programming there really within the community. Well, apparently uh, LaToya is well-revered for her work there. It says that uh, LaToya's commitment to the Christopher House and its programs should be shared and should receive a spotlight. And I think this is really neat. They say that she was involved in the education and after-school programs as a child herself, and she has brought her skill set back to help expand the offerings and serve more people in the Hallville community. And it goes on a little bit just to talk about some of her personal um, uh, contributions. Um, But uh, she was nominated by a person named Morgan McGill, and we want to thank LaToya for her uh, service and dedication to the Christmore House Guild. Great job. Let's give a big thank you to our sound engineer, Matt Sosi. And our Taking Care and Community sponsor, National Bank of Indianapolis. If you'd like to nominate someone or an organization for a future episode, you can visit our website, takingcareinbusiness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, or download Taking Care in Business wherever you get our podcasts. If you love Taking Care in Business, give us a five-star rating and leave a review or share this episode on your social media. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Taking Care in Biz, B-I-Z. 
If you have questions or comments, you can also email us at info at takingcareinbusiness.com. Thank you for joining us today. And until next time, take take care care in in business. business.